0: Good morning. Good morning. Since I'm going to have my back turned to you the majority of the time, I thought I'd do an appropriate, proper greeting. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. morning. The red is beautiful. Everyone looks really good in their red. If you don't have red, you should get some. (laughs) (laughs) I got my red on to go digging deep, but it's all right. Yeah, I see the red. Everybody looks good. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. The traditional response to that is "Good morning." <laughs> Thank you. I was in uh, California, um, first part of this week, Sunday and Monday. Flew out last Sabbath. I preached really fast at second service. Got in the car and ran to the airport and got out to uh, California for an event called the One Project, and uh, just phenomenal, man. Beautiful place, of course, San Diego is gorgeous, and we were there for an event called The One Project where we uh, as a gathering of uh, really of, of Seventh-day Adventist young adults and, and young-ish adults and, and people of every generation to be honest and uh, it was two days of talking about Jesus. Amen. Amen. Talking about how Jesus is central to everything that we are about and, and trying to expand on how Jesus um, pulls everything together for us as Seventh-day Adventists, right? Isn't that awesome? I mean, it was just phenomenal. And what better place to be than San Diego? Hello? Man, I didn't want to come home. I was like, honey, just pack it all up. Come on out. And... But it's good to be with you. <laughs> it is good to be here. It's good to be in this place. It's good to share with you this morning. And... Uh, Let's just pray one more time, if we could, and uh, we'll get going. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this gathering of your people. And I pray, Father, that your spirit might prevail in this place, that you would move in such a profound way that we can't help but walk away different, that you, Father, would be seen and felt and known in a very profound way. Thank you, God. Jesus, thank you for the centrality of Jesus and everything that we do in this place. It is at the end of the day, so it's all about Jesus. We thank you for that, Father, and we pray your blessings on this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So typically, I'm at, I'm at second service, and we've been doing a series there um, called Different. And the series is all about the holiness of God. I was actually a little hesitant to actually do a series on holiness in the context of that gathering in particular because we're, we tend to be a little bit younger audience and talking about holiness is a little bit awkward, right? Means I got to talk about sin and judgment, means I got to talk about cleansing and purification. I got to talk about all that stuff that's a little awkward for us sometimes, but it's been really cool. We've been talking about different because, because holiness, holiness is the Bible's way of describing that God isn't normal, right? God isn't just any old God. He's not just, you know, little g, your average run in the mill God. God is God. He is high and lifted up, and He is separate and holy and other we have, a little, we have a fire back there. We, we turn it on, to, to, and that's a symbol of kind of, you know, we're trying to make a symbol of, of God's holiness, because throughout Scripture, God would be present, and He would be symbolized by holy. So we, we fire up this fire. It's been kind of cool, man. You should come see it. Bring marshmallows. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but it's been so much, it's been a, it's been a good time to connect uh, in that series. So uh, we're still in that series, so I'm preaching kind of from that mindset, and we're going to talk about how God is different. We're going to talk about God's holiness, but we're, we're kind of focusing on how God relates to us in that holiness. How God calls us into relationship with Himself. How God sets us apart for relationship with Him. And that's what we're talking about this morning. It's appropriate to talk about relationship with God on a day in which we focus on those those horizontal relationships. We're going to kind of emphasize the vertical this morning. All right, so hang with me. Our country's oldest candy company is the New England Confectionery Company. They've been around since 1901. They are best known for their sweethearts or conversation hearts, candies. You can see them there on the screen. Every year, the company manufactures about 2 billion of these chalky, heart-shaped little sweets with their sweet little messages of invitation stamped on them. Alright? You seen those? I'm not a particular fan. I'm more of a chocolate guy. But hey, everybody likes their stuff, right? At times, the company has had to adapt their short and sweet messages to speak to, speak to a changing culture. So to that end, they've had to stamp across those little hearts those little sweethearts, things like, tweet me, right? <laughs> Text me. And this year's, this year's eight new additions are up on the screen. This is, this is what you will get on, those, um, on the front of those little heart-shaped candies. You can go out and buy those today. These were just released for this year. You see them up there. Love to Dance, Girl Power, and then there's a mustache. I'm not really sure what that's about, right? BFF. Te amo, and then pugs and kittens. Okay, right on. That's what you can get engraved on your little heart shaped sweets. Let me ask you this Is it too much for me to say that God has stamped on the heart of every human being the same message and invitation to be mine? To be mine. Am I taking too much liberty with Scripture to say that, God, that the God of the universe left His fingerprint on our soul, that in the same way He longs to write His commandments on our, on our hearts, He first engraves a sweet note of invitation indicating His deep longing for us to belong exclusively to Him. You see, the most popular candy heart made by the New England Confectionary Company is the one that says, Be mine. And God comes along, and he, he's, he's planted what deep within the soul of every human being that same message of invitation. Be mine. Be mine. I want to be with you. I want a holy relationship with you that's like no other relationship. It's not going to be normal. In fact, it's going to be set apart. It's going to be different. And more importantly, it's going to be exclusive. You are mine. And more than anything else, perhaps God God wants us to be able to say, God, you are mine too. You are mine too. That's what holiness is. It's about about being set apart. It's about being special. It's no no longer this on-again, off-again thing with God. In fact, in in second service, we have this thing. We we don't want to fling with God. We want to flame with God. We want want the relationship to run hot. We want it to be intense. We want it to be real. And we want more than anything else for it to be deep and lasting and a matter. That's what we talk about. And so this holy God comes along and he invites us into this exclusive, very special, very separate, very different relationship. And God pursues us. He comes after us. You and me, it's, it's like it's like um um twenty, roughly twenty-one, twenty-two years ago, um I I proposed to my wife and convinced her that we should be exclusive forever. <laughs> Just me and her, right? This this is special, this is gonna matter, this is gonna last forever. We're and so so you know uh, The plan was for me to go out to Arizona, which is where she's from, which is where the wedding was going to be, Uh, the far western side of Arizona, about middle of the state. If you've ever been to Needles, California, which is one of the hottest places on the face of the planet uh, in the summertime, um, you know where her home is or where where she grew up. Right across the Colorado River into Arizona is where she grew up. It's the middle of nowhere. It's desert. It's desolate. But that's where we were going to get married. And so the, the, the week before, was, the plan was for me to drive out, you know, leading all up to that. We do all the preparations. But the week before, I got to get out there because it's, it's happening, man. And I'll never forget how excited I was to get out there. That's usually, that's a 23-hour drive, right? If you're just taking your time and doing your thing, you sleep over, you get a hotel, it takes a long time. I made it in 18 hours, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, let's get this done, Right? <laughs> Let's, let's just go. Why? Because, man, this was it. This, you know, this is, this is now the, the climax of everything. This is where it all comes together. This is where we, we covenant this thing. This is where we, we solidify this thing. This is where I make, we, we become husband and wife. This is the relationship that is going to, this, you are mine, baby. And don't you know that the God of the universe longs to have that experience with you and me? He says, "You, you are mine. I've invited you in to be with me. I want you." And there's a deep, deep even. You even realize that there's a deep longing in the depths of your soul that only God Himself can fulfill, because you are meant to be with Him. Desire of Ages, the preface to the book, the Desire of Ages, says this: "It is God's design." Check this out. This is God's design. That, it, that this longing of the human heart should lead to the one who alone is able to satisfy it. The desire, the, the desire is of him that it may lead to him. The fullness and fulfillment of that desire, that, sorry, the fullness and fulfillment of that desire would be him. That fullness is found in Jesus the Christ, the Son of the Eternal God. So that's legit, man. That, that, that desire to know and to be with God is real. It's part of how we come to the table. It's etched across our soul, God's God's fingerprint, be mine, I want you to be mine, and you know it exists. Remember how we've been told all along that there's this God-shaped hole, right, in our soul? That we come to the table a bit empty, that there's a void there that can only be filled by God. That we come to the table and we spend our lives trying to put all sorts of things in that hole that don't belong there. And there's a passage in Scripture. I want you to check this out with me. This is pretty cool. There's a passage in Scripture that hints at this sort of emptiness that we come to the table with. It's found in John chapter 7, verse 38. Check this out. It says, He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being, hang on to that, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So, Jesus talks about this innermost part of who we are. If you take that that word in the original language, it's koilias, koilias. All right, koilias means innermost being. It literally means belly. Now, it comes from this word. It comes from koilas, which means this, which means hollow, hollow. In other words, there's an emptiness to us. There's a hollowness to the soul that really only the God of the universe can fill, that only the God of the universe can can so fulfill us that we find deep satisfaction in this life. That's what he's describing there. Man, it's so cool when when the Bible affirms it. So here, here comes God, and he's got his eye on you, and he says, I long to fill that place within you. I want you to be mine, but hopefully someday you come to make me yours. You come to allow me to fill that place in your life and in your heart and in your soul. This great desire of God, this great pursuit of God has been described in many ways by many different authors. And here's one way that I've discovered it this week while I was preparing, that God has a divine obsession with you. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool, that God God has a divine obsession. It's not like our not-so-divine obsessions with things here, but God has a divine obsession with you. We don't tell you that to make you proud or big-headed, but it's good to know that the God of the universe is interested in you, that he's obsessed with you. Here's another way that we found to put it. We are God's fatal attraction. (laughs) Yeah, some of y'all saw that movie too, right? We are God's fatal attraction so, to the point that God would actually say, that the Bible would actually say that God so loved the world that he gave his son to die on a cross because he wanted to be with you and me. He wanted to be with us, a fatal attraction. And then the, the great uh, English poet Francis Thompson says this, he calls God the hound of heaven. That God is in a constant pursuit of you and me. And then one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of Brennan Manning, he he describes it as the furious longing of God. This desire, this strong desire to be with you, to know you, to be in relationship with you, to become intimately acquainted with you, to have you answer the question will you be mine? Now, here's the thing about God. What God understands is what we only understand over time and trial and often chaos in our lives, is that holiness comes through intimacy. Holiness comes through intimacy with Him. But the demands of intimacy is what keeps us from relenting to belong only to him. You see, we struggle with intimacy because we have affections for all sorts of other things. The reason we can't be exclusive is because our eyes and our hearts wander to other stuff, man. So we struggle. And probably the most profound story in all of Scripture that illustrates this better than anything else is is the story of Hosea. You probably have read or seen or heard something about this great story of God's messenger known as Hosea. He is a minor prophet, but that's not because he is less important. It's because his message is relatively brief. Brief, mind you, but packed, packed with extremely vivid imagery. It is a dramatic metaphor that underscores underscores. For us, the depth of God's desire for us to belong exclusively to Him. It is a story of God's intense, intense pursuit to gain our affection and our love and a relationship with us. You know the story. It's all too common. If you read any of the Old Testament, there's this constant, this constant pursuit of God after a people who only pursue other things. And you see God coming back and back, back and forth to them, calling them out of, out of worship of other gods into an exclusive worship of only Him. And God takes this book of, of Hosea, He takes the prophet Hosea, and He takes this entire book and he, he says, I want you to see this. I'm going to illustrate for you what this thing is all about and how deep my affection is for you that I would actually continue in a relationship with you even though you disregard my love. Man, wouldn't you hate to be Hosea? (laughs) What a a tough calling, especially in light of this. Here's the story. Hosea 1 and verse 2, just right off the bat, God tells him what's what's going to happen. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, He said to him, Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Wow. Here's your calling, man of God, prophet of God. I'm going to go have you get into a relationship, not just a relationship, but I want you to marry a prostitute. Not a woman who starts out good and goes bad, but a woman who's already heading down the wrong track. What kind of scandal will that create? Here you go, Hosea, go marry a prostitute. And I think it's important to note here because you understand how this goes. The the, the metaphor is such that God is this this Hosea figure. And he, he hangs in there with us regardless of how far we stray away from him and how unfaithful we are. But he always seems to woo us back and he's patient with us. But I find it so interesting that that God would call this prophet Hosea to, to this thing. That He would invite, He would invite Hosea to have this, this upfront, very close relationship with this woman and her mess and her drama and her scandal. Could it be that even in these, just this first passage, there's something we can learn about how God relates to scandals, how God relates to even our illicit. Lurid stories that God doesn't shy away from them But in fact he actually invites you to take a closer look hey Hosea check this out Not only are you gonna hear about the crazy story and the drama you're gonna be a part of it You see the way it is with you and me we avoid the scandals and the scandalous people We avoid the people with the sketchy past or the sketchy present if we were to walk it walking through Publix and we saw that person that people have been talking about, we're turning the corner, go down the aisle, we turn and go the other way because they're coming up. We avoid the scandal. The God of the universe steps right into the scandal, man. He's not ashamed of our stuff. He doesn't blush or he doesn't blush and he doesn't get embarrassed by our stories and our scandals and our junk, man. He says, he says, hey, Hosea, dude, not only are you going to get to see it, but you're going to live it. Why? Because I want you to know and fully understand the depth of my love for you. Sometimes you turn your head away from the, from, the, you know, from the train wrecks of life. Sometimes we turn away, we can't handle that. That's too hot for us. There's too much drama in that family. Let me move over here. God says, no, 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 I'm going to be right in the middle of it because in my time, I will make something beautiful, right? That's the type of God we serve. In his time, he will take your scandal and he will cleanse stuff and he will make something holy out of something unholy, man. That's the God we serve. So he says, hey, prophet Hosea, go marry a prostitute. Go get involved in this dysfunctional relationship. Go get involved in this scandal. I want you right in the middle of it. And not only that, I want you to have children with this woman, and I want you to name the children these things. So the first kid was named Jezreel. And this is what the name Jezreel means. It refers to the ancient, uh, an ancient site of, an, of a massacre. It was to remind Hosea of the chaos and the death and the destruction that comes when we reject God. The name was synonymous with God's judgment. How would you like to show up at school and say, my name is God's judgment. Yeah. <laughs> the next kid was to be named Lo Ruhamah, not loved. <laughs> Go marry a prostitute and give your kid weird names, Hosea. The last kid was named Lo Lo Amy, Lo Ami, not mine. <laughs> you got one that's named with a name that's synonymous with judgment, God's judgment that creates chaos in your life. You got another kid that's named Not Loved, and another kid that's named Not Mine. Wow. You see, I think it. I think it underscores the notion that the reality of the fact is God isn't pleased with God isn't pleased with our unfaithfulness. In fact, God judges our unfaithfulness. We know that Gomer is unfaithful almost from the very beginning. So what follows are these countless stories of her unfaithfulness or of our unfaithfulness. What cannot be lost though is is God's extreme displeasure with our unfaithfulness. I know, we spend a lot of time talking about grace and God's love, and oh how he loves us, and God absolutely loves us, but God does not shy away from judgment. He calls those of us who are unfaithful to be responsible for our unfaithfulness. Ooh. That's a tough one to swallow. That's a difficult one for us to hear. That we, though there's dysfunction in our lives and though we try to look for other things to fulfill that void and that dysfunction in our lives, and it may be dysfunction that comes to us by our own decisions, or it could be dysfunction that comes to us by things that people have done to us. Regardless, God says you are responsible and God does judge. Listen to Hosea 2.13. I will punish her... I will punish her for all those times when she burned incense to her images of Baal, when she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me, says the Lord. I will hold you accountable. But here's the cool thing. Here's the beauty of how God works. You can contrast it with how we work. When you and I come across these stories that are a little bit scandalous when we hear about stuff and when we when we understand people's failings and we see the drama that goes off in their lives whatever the nature of the drama may be in our self-righteousness sometimes we may be tempted to judge and we in fact do judge at times and the thing with us is we judge and we reject We move away from the scandal, we avoid the junk of people because we don't want to get caught up in that mess. Here's how God works. God judges, he holds accountable, but he won't reject you. That's the difference. That's a huge difference. That's a divine difference between us and God. God sees your mess, understands your mess, is not turned off by your mess, but in fact, he only ramps up his efforts to know you and to pursue you. He becomes more intense in his love for you. He's not turned off by you. Right? No, 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 no. He has the right to judge and he does judge. And the beauty of God's judgment is that Scripture, scripture backs this up. Scripture says that he, he, he remembers them no more. So he has the right to judge. He does judge, but he doesn't reject, nor does he remember that junk. Unlike people here on this planet, they remember everything bad about you, right? <laughs> God sees only the good. God knows your redemption story. God knows that, you know, the once was lost, but He knows the found. He knew you when you were blind, but He really only remembers you when you can see. God judges, but He doesn't reject, nor does He remember. And in fact, just the next chapter over, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, listen to how God operates. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. Go and love this woman again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them, not only have they turned to other gods, they like it. So I bought her back for fifteen pieces of silver and five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. You see, that for me would have been—it would have been time to leave that relationship. But God says, "No, I won't leave. In fact, I will. I will do everything I can. I will take all the resources that, that are at my disposal. I will take." The silver, I will take the bushels, I will take the wine, I will use whatever is at my disposal, and I will come after you. I will buy you back. I will do whatever it takes to have you, because I want you to be mine. Amen. Amen. All right. He is indeed this God who pursues. He longs to set us apart to make us his own to be exclusively His. Hosea 1 and verse 10. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore. Not only does He take you back after you've been unfaithful, He blesses you and multiplies you. (laughs) Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore. Too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said, you are children of the living God. See, he gave the kids names. You're not mine and you're not loved. And God said, no, I'm going to turn this around and give you some new names. You are mine and you are loved. Hosea 2:23. At that time, I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will show love to those I called not loved. It all comes around. It all changes when God intensifies his pursuit of you. And to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. Isn't that awesome? God never gives up. God may judge, but he never rejects. God constantly pursues you. The the New Testament underscores this in the Book of Peter. 1 Peter says, God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. To enter into a holy, separate, different relationship with God, He will pursue you. He will pull out all the stops to do what He can to have you. In, in Hosea 11, later in the, the entire book, it was only about 14 chapters, but later, he still, after all, all the adultery, after all the unfaithfulness, look at this, God is relentless. He says, oh, Hosea 11:8. oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adama or demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me and listen to this my compassion overflows He loves you he wants you he invites you be mine know me be exclusively with me don't be don't go anywhere else don't give your affection to anything or anyone else love me I don't reject you because your story's a little bit shaky I DON'T REJECT YOU BECAUSE EVERYBODY ELSE IS TALKING ABOUT WHAT'S GOING ON WITH YOU. IN FACT, I LOVE YOU. I EMBRACE YOU. I WANT YOU. IF NOBODY ELSE WANTS YOU, IF EVERYBODY ELSE TURNS AWAY FROM YOU, GUESS WHAT? THE GOD OF THE UNIVERSE SAYS, YOU ARE MINE. I WON'T TURN YOU AWAY. SO I CAN REMEMBER, AND THERE HAVE BEEN TIMES THROUGHOUT YOUR LIFE, I'M SURE AT SOME LEVEL YOU CAN RELATE I mean, maybe it's more relevant for you even right now, but there are times in our lives when we go through periods where we are terrified of being rejected, even as adults, not just for when you're younger. I remember there's a time, especially in light of, 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 you know, the scandal of my own life and, and the exposure of your own sin, and you begin to think in your mind, there's no way anyone could ever accept me or love me. You begin to think that God is thinking about getting rid of you too. But you begin to think that man i hate rejection in fact we do a lot of things in this life both as young people and as adults to avoid rejection of any type all right we do all kinds of silly things well that's a period of life that i was going through and every now and then those thoughts will creep back in but i'll never forget that through the darkest part of this sense of being rejected i had this dream i had this dream And the the most vivid part of the dream that I can remember is that there was a mob of people, big mob of people, huge, and they had sticks and they had, they had like torches. I don't know why they had torches, but they had torches, all right? They had sticks, they had weapons, and they were angry. They were mad and they were coming after me. And talk about rejection. This was the height of rejection. And I was look, I was kind of afraid and I was terrified, you know? But they couldn't, for whatever reason, they couldn't literally come at me that something just sort of held them back. And I was over here, it was all alone. I was just, it was just me. And about that time I wake up. That's what what I remember of the dream. But what I've taken from that dream is this. Because as I was remembering that dream, I remember an enormous sense of peace that came over me. Because what I interpreted from that dream is that I have been rejected and these people are ready to destroy me. But in the midst of that message that I was interpreting, God spoke another message. He says, I don't reject you. In fact, I love you and I want you. It was so cool. And there, I could have, I was probably floating on air just a little bit because in those moments, I realized the depth of God's love for me, little old me. I realized that I serve a God that though I have messed up royally, he will not reject me. And he'll go with me through the fire of his judgment. He will, he will be with me as I'm held accountable for what I've done. But he will not let me go. And he will not let you go. There is a God that is on your side and he is for you. He wants nothing more than to be in a relationship with you. In his mind and in his heart, you are his. And the quicker you realize that and the quicker I realize that, the more joy, the more peace, the more passion we will live in relationship with him. Father God, thank you for the gift of this message of Hosea, that where there has been unfaithfulness, God, you will make us faithful. And God, you won't quit as bad as the story gets and as unfaithful as we become you never let up. May we live with that promise and that knowing that you love us, Lord, and you never reject us. In Jesus' name, amen.